from the Center for European Reform. This is the CER podcast. Posons-nous sérieusement la question de l'avenir que nous voulons et ayons tous ensemble le courage de le construire. Für uns in Deutschland ist das Bekenntnis zum vereinten Europa Teil unserer Staatsräson. A strong united Europe is a necessity for the world because an integrated Europe remains vital to our international order. This is the moment for Europe to lead the way towards a new vitality. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Centre for European Reform podcast. I'm Octavia Hughes, host of today's episode, and we'll be looking at Turkey's presidential and parliamentary elections, which are due to be held in just a few days on May 14th. President Erdogan, who has been in power for two decades, faces perhaps the toughest test of his political career. His popularity has suffered as a result of Turkey's economic difficulties, And he has also been criticized for his government's response to the earthquakes that hit the country in March. As well as this, Erdogan faces a relatively united opposition. If we look forward, it's clear that the elections will have a profound impact, not only on Turkey's political trajectory, but also on its foreign policy. To discuss all of this, we have two guests, Sanem Adin Duzgit, Senior Scholar and Research and Academic Affairs Coordinator at Istanbul Policy Center, and a Professor of International Relations at the Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences of Sabanji University. And we also have Luigi Scazieri, Senior Research Fellow here at the CER. We're going to start by discussing the election itself and then turn to what the different scenarios are. Finally, we'll look at what these might mean for Turkey, for its foreign policy, and for its relations with the EU. I'd like to start by asking you to give us a bit of context to these elections, Sanam. What is their significance? And would it be fair to say that they're essentially a referendum on Erdogan's leadership? Thank you very much. Yes, I do agree with you that these elections constitute a watershed moment for Turkey's domestic politics, for Turkish society, economy, foreign policy, governance. In all these areas, it will be a defining time for the coming years. And yes, I do also agree with your assumption that this is going to be a referendum on the ruling coalition of the Justice and Development Party and their minor coalition partner, the Nationalist Action Party, since they have been in power for quite a long time now. And also, given the fact that these elections are taking place in a context where the governing coalition has failed spectacularly in responding to the major earthquake that took place back in February, demonstrating a substantial erosion of Turkish state capacity, The elections are also taking place in a context where the Turkish economy is doing poorly with rising rates of inflation that is, of course, reflecting on the lowering of living standards across the Turkish citizens. Again, it's taking place against a background where there is profound erosion of democracy and fundamental liberties every day. So this is the context in which the opposition has finally united against the governing coalition. So this is why in my opinion, that for the first time in two decades, the opposition now has a serious chance of defeating Erdogan. Great. Thank you, Sanam. And if we could now focus a bit more on the campaign itself, what have the main themes been so far? How are the government and the opposition campaigning and what are their respective policy platforms? 
Okay, well, let's start with the government then. Well, the government's campaign has been mostly premised on what we call as negative campaigning. It's very much based on evoking fear among the population that in the case of an opposition win, that they will not be able to deliver, that the opposition is basically in an alliance with the terrorists, you know, Kurdish or, you know, Gulenists or what have you, that the opposition is basically a threat to Turkish security and Turkey's existence. So it's an ex considered as an existential threat. And of course, in addition to these, there are also certain aspects of positive campaigning in the sense that, you know, the government is flowing funds uh, that is not really there to begin with. And of course, the repercussions of that will be much clearer economically once the elections are over. But still, they're trying to hang in there and spend and spend as much money as possible on, you know, boosting pensions, bringing on early retirement and these kind of policy areas on building new homes in the earthquake stricken areas and what have you. So they're kind of investing in these infrastructural projects as well, or, you know, showing and flagging the achievements of Turkey's security sector, such as drone technology, etc. So it's very much a nationalist, very much security driven campaign that's also coupled with the demonization of opposition and its supporters as security threats. That's how I would define the current government's campaign trajectory. Whereas for the opposition, of course, the issues are obviously bread and butter issues, given the state of the Turkish economy. So the economic matters are very much in the spotlight. But also the opposition is campaigning on a rather more kind of a positive and a more inclusive message and platform where they underline this rhetoric of not polarizing Turkey by promising to establish a more inclusive form of governance. They call this the radical love strategy, which paid off in the local elections back in 2019 as well for the opposition. So it's a much more positive and much more inclusive platform and discourse on the part of the opposition's campaign. But also they have concrete policy suggestions and proposals as well, as I said, primarily in the field of bread and butter issues, economy, but also in other spheres of life, like education, domestic governance, like a return to democracy, justice, return to a parliamentary form of rule, fight against corruption, and what have you, basically in all those policy areas where there seems to be a certain degree of sensitivity on the part of the population and expectations from the opposition part. That's very interesting. Thank you. If I could turn to Luigi now, how have the elections been seen from outside of Turkey? And what would you see as the main possible outcomes of the vote? Thank you, Octavia. And thank you again, Selim, for joining us. So I would say that the elections are seen as uh, very important in Western capitals as well, perhaps even as the most significant of this year. The reason for that is that under Erdogan, the, the relationship between Turkey and its Western partners has really deteriorated quite sharply, not so much in the first decade in which he was in power, but over the last 10 years. And one of the issues is the deterioration of the rule of law and the democratic freedoms in Turkey, particularly for the EU and Turkey's accession process. But then there's another set of issues that relates to the concrete policy differences between Turkey and its Western allies. So for example, Turkey's purchase of a Russian air defense system, 
which has led to lots of tensions with the US and its veto over Sweden's NATO membership. And Turkey's also had lots of policy disagreements with EU member states, above all recent Cyprus, but these then automatically become issues for the EU as a whole. Of these, I would say the most prominent is probably are those in the eastern Mediterranean, namely Turkey's claims to a very large maritime zone, its efforts to assert claims to such a zone by sending military ships very close to Greek islands and Cyprus, and its efforts to advance a, a two-state solution in Cyprus. And then, as I've partly hinted at, there's this issue of Turkey's relationship to Russia. There's a lot of appreciation for mediation efforts in the war in Ukraine, above all in terms of brokering the grain deal but also a widespread perception that Erdogan specifically is very close to Putin because of not applying sanctions, because of the personal relationship. And in general, there's very little sympathy, I think, for, for Ankara's veto of Swedish NATO membership. And I don't want to go much further about the, all the disagreements between Turkey and under Erdogan and its Western allies, but there are many others from the management of migration flows. And even when we think of the EU, the very functioning of the customs union between the EU and Turkey is not something that's really functioning too well anymore. So the main idea really is that there have been growing tensions between Erdogan's Turkey and the West, that Turkey is no longer really considered a reliable partner. Indeed, in many cases, it is considered a rival. Of course, there's still cooperation taking place, but this is on a very transactional basis. And the opposition is pledging a set of domestic reforms. Yes, this return to a parliamentary system, but also in terms of foreign policy, it's saying it wants to pursue a much less confrontational foreign policy, one that is more aimed, one that places Turkey more in the Western camp than has been the case under Erdogan, and that would make closer relationship possible. So I think that the significance of the election for the West, for the EU specifically, is that it raises the prospect of very substantial political change in Turkey and its foreign policy. And of course, that depends on the precise scenarios, and I look forward to hearing what Senem has to say. But I think that there's actually a range of scenarios with you know, either side could win outright, but you could also have mixed scenarios, which might be more problematic. Thank you, Luigi. So Senem, would you agree with those scenarios? And could you maybe talk a little bit about what the polls are telling us at the moment? Yes, sure. Thank you. And yes, I do agree with Luigi as well. I mean, more or less on how the external perceptions are now being shaped regarding these elections and its potential foreign policy consequences. Now, when we look at the opinion polls, of course, there are so many of them <laughs> these days. And one always has to have a caveat when interpreting opinion polls, because they might also be quite unpredictable given the sort of high uncertainty and also the high percentage of those who are still recorded as undecided voters. So it's hard to tell and it's difficult not to speculate. But having said that, if we still look at these opinion polls, we see that a large majority of them are predicting an opposition win. Most of them predict that opposition win in the second round. But most recently, I looked at one or two opinion polls, I think published last week, that some of them are now predicting it for the first round as well by a very close call. So in general, we can say that public opinion polls are in favor of or look in favor of the opposition. But having said that, of course, I do also agree with Luigi that there might be more mixed outcomes. That is, you know, the opposition might win the presidency. 
But then uh, it looks as if none of the blocks, that is, neither the opposition block nor the governing block of AKP and MHP, are expected to hold a majority of seats in the National Assembly, that is the Parliament. So, of course, again, this is just based on the numbers and opinion surveys. It's hard to tell for sure. So there might be a situation when the president can come from the opposition or Erdogan might still win because it's obviously a close race, right? And also it's not taking place in a free and fair environment. I think that's also one thing that we need to underline when we're discussing these elections. We should not discuss these elections as if they're taking place in a 100% free and fair context. They're not. They're not fair at all by any means. And we are yet uncertain as to how free they will be. So it all remains to be seen. So in that sense, but assuming that they will take place at a sufficiently free degree, that it will reflect the public opinion, then there is a serious chance for the opposition to win. But having said that, even if the opposition wins, the parliament might be a split one. Or assuming that Erdogan wins, still it might be a split parliament. Or you might have a situation in which there's going to be a second round, but we're going to know what the parliamentary election results will be because since they will be held on the same day of the first round. So in the case that there is a split, you know, Erdogan might basically, you know, in his election campaign in between the two rounds, stress the importance of, you know, having the full powers so that he won't have any difficulty working with the parliament. So you can have all kinds of combinations. But, and this is an important but, although parliamentary elections are also very important, I think the most important election here is the presidential race, because in the new system that Erdogan has introduced with this new presidential regime in Turkey, the presidency has a lot of power. It's a very centralized system of decision making with a minimal degree of checks and balances. So if you're going to have to make substantial changes in the governing structure of the country, including the regime, then you will need to hold the presidency. So in that sense, I see the presidential part of the election much more important than the parliamentary one for the time being. Also, given the fact that it seems as if none of the two blocs will have the parliamentary majority to be able to bring changes to the regime through a referendum, because you need a parliamentary majority in the parliament to take issues to a referendum, such as constitutional changes, for instance, such as the prospect of returning to a parliamentary system would also require a referendum. And all of these would require parliamentary majorities. So I know it's a little bit complex, but I hope I managed to simplify it as much as possible. No, that was very interesting. Thank you. I'd now like to turn to the scenario of Erdogan staying in power, Luigi. What would your expectations be about his foreign policy and Turkey's relations with the West if that were to happen? So relations with the West would depend on what he does, which is not so easy to predict in my view, because over the past few months, we've seen him be more conciliatory than in the past, dialing down tensions with the West including allowing Finland to join NATO. And in theory, there are incentives for this policy to continue, largely because of the state of Turkey's economy, which means he could not sustain confrontation. He has to attract foreign capital to stabilize the economy. His focus is going to be a lot about reconstruction after the earthquakes. So 
I do think it's quite likely that he would give a green light to Sweden joining NATO, for example. I think his control of the media environment, the degree of control means that he can probably quite easily turn around and say that Sweden has actually agreed to what Turkey is demanding and most of Turkey's population and his supporters particularly would leave him. But there are other issues on which there'd still be a lot of tension and in general the potential for turbulence would remain very high. For example, I don't see the relationship with Putin changing. I don't see Turkey giving up the S-400 air defense system that has created so much trouble in relations with the West. I very much doubt there'd be a change in approach to the Eastern Mediterranean or indeed on policy towards Cyprus. And I think above all, Erdogan wouldn't abandon his idea that Turkey is a major player on the global stage, that it deserves a position commensurate with its power, that it can make its own way in the world. So if we think that, in a sense, it's been the state of the economy that constrains his foreign policy, then it seems to me possible that if Turkey's economy were to strengthen, which admittedly might take a while, but then we might see Erdogan returning to be much more disruptive. And then there's always the argument that actually disruption in foreign policy, assertiveness, nationalist shows of strength are a way precisely to distract public opinion from domestic economic difficulties. So lots of potential for turbulence. Lots of focus from the West on managing disruption, almost no chance of a deeper partnership. And when it comes to relationship with the EU, any positive movement would be extremely difficult. And, and also, the, the elections themselves could be a source of tension with the West. If there are reports, for example, of major irregularities during the vote, then I think there, there might be a chance, for example, of the EU ending Turkey's accession bid for good. And similarly, I think a refusal to lift a veto on Sweden's membership would create really, really big issues. So it, there is a highly disruptive scenario, depending on you know how the vote itself pans out, that could see even sustaining transactional ties very difficult. Thanks, Luigi. Sanem, please feel free to expand on anything Luigi's just said. I'd also like to ask you what you think the foreign policy priorities of the opposition government are. Well, thank you, Octavia. I mean, I do agree with Luigi. If Erdogan is re-elected, I'm expecting more of the same in terms of a purely transactional relationship between Turkey and its Western partners, including the EU. But even the interest-based transactionalism has the potential to be harmed furthermore, as Turkey, I don't think, will ever go back to democracy under Erdogan or they're not going to make any steps backward concerning the Eastern Mediterranean and Cyprus. In fact, I think they will be pushing for this two-state solution. And that's what is in their program as well. With Sweden, I think they will eventually approve a Swedish accession to NATO. So I have a feeling that that's going to come soon after Finnish approval. So that might be the only positive, I would say, step in Turkey's wider relations with the Western security community. Russian leverage would continue to grow. So basically, Turkish foreign policy would continue to be made in ways in which it would serve the regime security of the ruling government. That's what's going to happen. And that's what's been happening for a very long time now, in the second decade, especially since the AKP came to power. And that, of course, means a more disruptive scenario that I agree with, with Turkey and the West, and also in the wider neighborhood. But beyond Turkey's relations with the West, of course, Turkey is trying to reconcile 
with all those partners that it has alienated with its foreign policy in the Middle East and North Africa. So I think it would pursue the normalization of relations with countries like Egypt, for instance, and Israel. And with Syria, of course, it wishes to sit down with Assad. It already has expressed the wish to do so, but we know that the Syrian regime is waiting for the elections to do that. And also to facilitate the return of some of the Syrian migrants. Of course, I think their hope was to do this before the elections as a show of strength. And also because this is an issue where all of the public is also quite sensitive about, including both the opposition supporters and also the government supporters. But they haven't been able to do that. But in their party program, they explicitly stipulate that they will do this once they're re-elected. So this is more or less what I would expect. As for the opposition, yes, I mean, there will be profound changes, I think, primarily in Turkey's relations with the West. But you see, the bar is so low in terms of what the relationship, especially between Turkey and Europe, has been reduced to in the last couple of years. That the first thing I think the opposition will try and do is to build confidence and mutual trust between the two sides. Not just between Turkey and EU, but also, you know, with with Turkey and its NATO allies, where so much mistrust has been breeding also, and especially perhaps after the war in Ukraine and Turkey's relations with Russia. So I think there will be a lot of bridge building there. I think the Swedish accession will definitely be approved. There won't be any issues about that. Relations with Russia will change because, if not for anything, because of the fact that the opposition commits to changing the way Turkish foreign policy is made from a more personalized system to a more inclusive system where it has the input of ministries, of course, most prominently the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, which is largely excluded from decision making, because today Turkish foreign policy is made behind closed doors, which of course then makes it very open and vulnerable to further appropriation by Russia, for instance, right? And it's not transparent, so we don't know the actual dialogue that's taking place between Putin and Erdogan. We don't know the actual commitments between the two sides, but we know that it's not a healthily balanced relationship from what we have as evidence of Putin's very strong support behind Erdogan's election bid. Recently, he was on national television, almost pledging his support for Erdogan on occasion of the launch of this Russian nuclear power plant on Turkey, which is probably the first of its kind beyond Russian borders and definitely in a NATO country. So I think that just goes to tell you how much things has the potential to change there. If you look at the Russian attempts and the push to keep Erdogan in power, you know, he delayed, for instance, gas payments for a year to help Erdogan in the election process. And I think that should be an eye opener for many in the West as well regarding how these elections might fare for Turkey's position. Other than that, on Cyprus, I know that I hear some in the West who claim that Well, nothing would change here. I disagree with that because the opposition has said loud and clear that they're against the two-state solution and they will push for resolution for united Cyprus. And I think that would, of course, change the tone of the debate. It would be much easier for the opposition to sit and negotiate with Assad since they don't have the baggage of the Syrian civil war and Turkish involvement there. And relations might be much more smooth in terms of recovering with Israel and Egypt and other partners in the Eastern Med, which have turned against Turkey in the recent years. So about S-400s and F-35, again, 
the opposition, and actually this is in the party program of the nationalist faction of the opposition, that they will push for Turkey's inclusion in the F-35 program, which means that S-400s would be shelled as well. So I think these are considerable enough to introduce uh, profound changes in foreign policy. Of course, there will be some continuities. Turkey will have its national interest in Cyprus in terms of relations with Greece. There will be thorny issues with the EU, like the migration deal, which the opposition pledges to renegotiate. We know that they will ask the EU for support in funding the returns. And the opposition says that, you know, in the case that they don't, then they might declare the deal null and void. So there might be some tough negotiation there that will go on, including components of the deal, such as visa liberalization as well, which Turkey might be expected to push for. Luigi, if you could perhaps help us see this from the European perspective, how do you think the EU would approach an opposition government? Would it be willing to pursue deeper relations, do you think? Yeah, I'm not sure there's been so much thinking about this, but Europe and the US would have high hopes that the new government would bring about, first of all, the democratic changes in Turkey that it wants to bring about, and secondly, the more consistent foreign policy, more Western-oriented one that is not run by the presidency so much as by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And I'm sure if there was an opposition victory, there'd be an outpouring of signs of goodwill, let's say, high-level visits, engagement. But then the EU in particular, I think, will very much take a wait-and-see attitude, that's my feeling, and see what the new government actually does. And it will want to see tangible signs, for example, of commitment to improving democratic freedoms, tangible movement on Sweden's NATO accession, which There might be some difficulties on that front if, for example, Erdogan still has a majority in parliament, but we'll see if that scenario materializes. And yet the the S-400, there would be a scope for a solution to be found on them. Syrian refugees, yes, I think there could be a high potential for tension on that. If the opposition government would engage in large-scale returns, then there would be lots of tension with the EU. When it comes to relation with Russia, I think the expectation is for there not to be such a significant shift. Yes, there would be no such personal relationship with Putin, but there would still be a lot of points of pressure that Russia has on Turkey, which I think would encourage Turkey to have a fairly good relationship with Russia, not least in Syria, not least the nuclear power plant. And the opposition has been clear that they're not going to join Western sanctions. They may be more receptive to efforts to crack down sort of Russian efforts to circumvent sanctions through Turkey. But but in any case, even if Turkey would not be quite on the same page towards Russia as the rest of the West, it would still be in a much closer position and so creating much less friction with its Western allies. When it comes to the relationship with the EU specifically, I think the EU would restate its so-called positive agenda, so restate its willingness to modernise the customs union, to engage Turkey on visa liberalisation, to engage in much closer dialogue, and also provide at least technical assistance to the new government in economic terms. I'm not sure about actual economic assistance because the EU says that there is no money and actually all the effort is geared at helping Ukraine right now. So there is perhaps an issue in terms of the expectations that an opposition government would have about the amount of help that it could get from outside and what, on the other hand, its external partners might be willing to give. And beyond that, any progress would depend on whether the two sides can find common ground. So, you know, with the modernization of the customs union, you can potentially 
start negotiations without too many conditions, but to conclude them, you essentially need Turkey to normalize its trading relationship with Cyprus. So in the end, the relationship with the EU is completely linked to the question of what happens in Cyprus. And there we will have to see visa liberalization would potentially be easier. So there is a chance of faster progress on that. But I think there is a risk of disillusionment setting in on both sides if each kind of expects that the other would make the first move. So it would be very important to avoid that. But if we take a step back and look at a bigger picture, then clearly a government that pursues democratization within Turkey and a much more structured and less confrontational foreign policy, then the relationship with the EU and with the US would be in a much better place. And there would be a potential to make real progress in deepening relations. Thanks, Luigi. I think we have time for some final thoughts. Is there anything you'd like to add, Sanam? Maybe just to add that I agree with Luigi that on the sanctions question, I don't think we should expect Turkey to change its tone, even if there is an opposition win, because Turkey is too much dependent on Russia for oil and gas. But on top of it all, Turkey is suffering from an economic crisis which will most certainly deepen after the elections, given the high rates of money spending and the currency burning that's taking place right now in Turkey. So I don't think they will be positioned to adopt any harsh sanctions that might have a negative impact on the already extremely fragile Turkish economy. But I also sense that the Western allies would probably be more understanding on that front to the opposition, given the fact that it will take an awful amount of work by the opposition to basically re- build the country, be the institutions, be the state capacity, and what have you. And it is going to need financial support, which is primarily expected to come from the West, but we'll see how that figures out. On that note, I'd like to say thank you so much to Sanem and Luigi for joining me for this week's CER podcast. It's been incredibly insightful. Thank you also to our listeners at home. I'm sure we'll all be following the elections closely this weekend. If you'd like to stay informed on all things Europe, subscribe to the CER wherever you get your podcasts. And for more analysis on the Turkish election, have a read of Luigi's Policy Brief, which you can find on our website. Goodbye and see you next time. Thank you for listening to the CER podcast. If you have any feedback for us or want to leave suggestions for a future episode, then you can find us on Twitter at CER underscore EU.